Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another incredible episode of Market Impact Insights. We're heading down the home stretch in calendar year 2021 and an annual ritual for marketers, as certainly has been the case for me during my marketing career, is to start getting reflective at this time of year to think about marketing performance and the achievement of marketing excellence. And it's a goal for marketers around the world and never been more true in an environment where we're starting to see that uptick, we're starting to see the reemergence of marketing spend and just some, some mind-blowing statistics. Uh, if we look at global digital ad spend, for example, that's expected to reach $389 billion in 2021. And social media spend alone in the U.S. reaching $43 billion last year. And at the same time, we're spending all this money as marketers we're still not satisfied. We know we can do better. According to recent research, only about 61% of marketers believe that their current marketing strategy is effective. And as an example of that, more than 40% of business-to-business marketers see a lack of quality data as a big barrier to lead generation. So we're striving to do better. We're seeking on how to achieve excellence And I'm excited to have Tim Parkin join us here today to really get underneath this path for marketing excellence. And you know what? It's beyond just applying that old adage of best practices. So we're going to explore this a bit more with Tim. Tim is truly a marketing expert. He's a global consultant, advisor, and coach to marketing executives of many world-renowned brands. Tim specializes in helping marketing teams optimize their performance accelerate growth, and maximize their results. Tim's got more than 20 years of experience merging behavioral psychology. Oh yeah, we're going to talk about that a bit and technology seamlessly. Tim has unlocked rapid and dramatic growth for global brands and award-winning agencies. Tim is also a speaker, an author, a thought leader. He's contributed to publications including Adweek, Forbes, MarTech, TechCrunch, and dozens of other marketing outlets. He's also a member of the American Marketing Association, the Society for Advancement of Consulting, and has been inducted into the Million Dollar Consulting Hall of Fame. So all the way from sunny and warm Florida, Tim, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Dan, thank you so much for that introduction. It's wonderful to be here. A lot to talk about, as you said, and some really interesting statistics you shared. And it's been uh, quite the year, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. It's a year to remember. That is for sure. And really interesting looking at your background, Tim, you really started on more of a technical track, uh, an IT path before shifting over to successfully consulting with companies and helping them achieve marketing optimization. I'm curious, what inspired you to make that shift to really grab onto this whole area of marketing and marketing excellence and how did your background in IT really help you make that transition and achieve this success? 
It's a great question, Dan. It's a really funny story, actually. You know, I started as a programmer and even as a young kid, you know, my dad taught me programming. And so I worked for many different companies doing software development on startups, building applications, even some big name companies. And what I realized is all of this technology was great. They were building great products and great solutions, but they couldn't market it. They couldn't get it in front of customers and they weren't building something the customers really cared about. And that's what really clicked with me where I realized they don't have a technology problem. They have a marketing problem. And that really sparked my interest. And the second line of that story is that, you know, when I was a young kid, I wanted to be a magician, a professional magician. And so I thought, you know, this is going to be so great. I'll practice magic and get really good at it. But then I realized the obvious thing, right, that magicians work at nights and weekends. You know, that's when people are out at restaurants and having parties and stuff. And I said, that's not for me. But in that process, I, I saw a lot about how people interact, how they engage. And this speaks to that behavioral psychology element. And so I really merged those two things together, the technology and the behavioral psychology. And I saw that my passion really was marketing. And there's so much of that that's played out today. And that technology background has helped me tremendously nowadays, especially marketing and technology are synonymous. They're intertwined with each other. They absolutely are. And of course, there's just this plethora of new tools and technology capabilities. So that can be a bit overwhelming too for marketers just to sift through all of that. But there's, there's no lack of options, is there? There really isn't. No, and it's it's interesting because one of my degrees actually when I was in the programming industry was uh, is in game design development, you know, video games. And as part of that, I got a lot of experience with artificial intelligence. And it's interesting now because you see marketing, like you mentioned, the tools and the platforms and technologies, there's a lot of talk about AI and marketing and, you know, will it take away the job of copywriters and can it help us with big data? So it's really interesting to see, for me at least, this whole thing come full circle where now I'm able to apply all that experience I have in a new way, in a new context. It's really exciting. So one of the things that we talk about all the time as professional marketers is, oh, we're going to apply best practices. We, we hear that all the time. And it's interesting, you actually argue that we need to think more broadly than just this idea of adopting best practices if we really want to maximize our performance. Can you share a little bit more about that and, and maybe some examples of how that plays out? Absolutely. You know, best practices really are a sham and it's something that we've come to believe and it's an easy solution. And I'll tell you the reason why best practices are so prevalent, especially in marketing. You know, as an advisor to marketing executives, I see this all the time that it's not just about what's best for the business or what's going to achieve growth. It's about self-preservation. You know, if you do, quote unquote, the right thing, then you can't get fired and you can't get blamed if it doesn't work. And so this is what uh, perpetuates best practices. And it's this cycle of copying each other and the blind leading the blind. And so I'll tell you, there's three major issues with best practices. The first is just because someone else is doing it, it doesn't mean that it's good. And it doesn't mean that it works either, you know, to be honest. Uh, but the second is really interesting. And this is, you know, the core of your question, which is the local and global maximums. You know, I help my clients maximize their results, not just get good results, but to maximize. And that means you have to do everything possible to get the most you can out of it. So for example here, if you climb a mountain and you reach the top of it, you might think you're at the top of the mountain until you turn around and realize there's a mountain 10 times taller behind you. And that's the situation that a lot of marketing executives and teams find themselves in is they climb the small mountain and think by copying someone else, by following best practices, we've done the right thing. We've made it to the top. 
But really, there's so much opportunity, and especially now in these volatile times and disruption, there's so much opportunity if we can just think a little bit bigger and reach for those stars. And the last point here is the law of diminishing returns. You know, marketers ruin everything, to quote Seth Godin, which I love. Uh, and so when we copy each other, what happens in the industry is that customers become accustomed to this, used to seeing this tactic or this trend, and then it diminishes the effect of that. And so we can't breathe our own exhaust. We have to think outside the box. We have to think bigger. And we can't just rely on best practices. They really, truly are not best. You know, it's interesting. I think you're, you're really onto something there, which is this, this momentum that happens. So if you get uh, initially an innovation uh, and then people pick up on that, and then there's this comfort Comfort in the community, right? Comfort in having company because you're doing the same thing. And then you get into your comfort zone uh, around that. But what you're saying is that you're really are limiting your thinking and you're not really achieving true optimization because you're just, you're going the easy path, right? Of just uh, being comforted by the fact that you're, you're not alone, right? And you're just, you're doing the rinse and repeat. Absolutely. And to your point, you know, if you try something new and, and innovative and it doesn't work, you know, there's there's blame there. There's real consequence. You know, you wasted money, you wasted time, you wasted resources. But if we don't try new things, we will we'll never learn what works really. And this is what startups, you know, when they embrace the lean model, you know, do really well. And if you, if you read Steve Blank, for example, you know, it's all about failing fast to learn what works. And in the corporate world, we're afraid of this because our jobs are on the line or it feels that way. And I'll give you an example of this. You know, one of my clients, a B2B client, wanted to increase lead generation for one of their events. And they decided that they were going to donate money to fund scholarships for kids. This was related in this context. Uh, and so people could spin a wheel and the wheel was how much money the client would donate to the scholarship. But in order to spin the wheel, you had to register for their event. And so this led to the highest event registration for them, you know, during these uncertain times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And about a month later, no surprise, one of their competitors <laughs> did something very similar with donating to, you know, scholarships and a cause to get people to sign up for an event. So soon I expect everyone in this industry is going to do the same thing. But it goes to show you when you think outside the box, you can achieve new levels of what's possible. And then, of course, other people will copy you. But, you know, who's to say if it works or not for them? But it worked for my client. Yeah, that's a really interesting example. And of course, when we think about execution and achieving and being all we can be, you know, it it is a combination. There's there's a people dimension and there's also a process dimension, right? In terms of going out and doing that execution. We've talked a lot about that on this podcast. Tim, what's your perspective on those different dimensions, how they intersect, how they work together, people and process? And are there some success stories you can share that have really given you the best learning that you've carried on as you've worked with new clients? I think you're right, Dan, that uh, people and process are, are critical. And I like to say that people plus process equals performance. And that in order to have performance, you need both of these things. And they have to be exceptional. You know, we're talking about excellence here. And so you can't just have one and you can't have the other. And if you have, you know, average people with a really great process, you can have reliable performance. Likewise, if you have exceptional people, but with an average process, you're going to have some ups and downs, you know, some peaks and some valleys within that. So people are important and process is important. And what I've found is that my clients who are the most successful have an incredible culture. The people really understand that marketing is unknown, 
There's no egos in the way, and it's all about learning and discovery. And so recently, I did a training program for one of my clients, and it was for one one team within their marketing organization. This is a global company with many uh, different teams. And um, it expanded, uh, unbeknownst to me, <laughs> to many different teams, even including sales. And it was fascinating to see just how eager they all were for this information and to be open to new perspectives and to learn from each other. And, and that training has become conversations in the hallways and conversations in meetings. So really, when you have people who uh, can be understanding about this is not ego, I don't have all the answers, and marketing is unknown, that's key. Likewise, on the other side of the aisle, process is essential. And I would say the number one biggest gap I've seen in marketing teams of all sizes is a lack of process. And marketing really isn't that complicated, but for some reason, teams really struggle with having a clear, defined, streamlined process. And I would say that's the biggest barrier to unlocking the dramatic improvements in performance. Yeah, when you talk about that lack of process, I would assume then as marketers, uh, if we're out and we're building out our teams, we're looking for the right skill sets. That's really changed over the last 10 years, hasn't it? 15 years in terms of really what are the optimal skill sets of marketers uh, to help achieve that performance? It's, it's really interesting because a lot of talk about T-shaped marketers, to your point, you know, that you have to have a broad set of skills and maybe you're deep in one thing, and, but it keeps changing, you know, and it's going to keep changing. You know, now, uh, for example, we talked about social media. You mentioned some really fascinating statistics about social media spend. You know, TikTok has just blown up. And a lot of companies are seeing success on TikTok in many different ways. Uh, but the skill sets keep changing and they're, and they're going to continue to evolve even more. What really matters is about the person's personality and their eagerness and their attitude. And the best people you can hire are customers of your own company. And so one of my clients is in the pet industry. And it's great because you get on meetings and literally everyone has their pets. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's a really great uh, company to meet with. But they all are consumers, basically, of their own products. And this is the manufacture, you know, pet goods. And so it's really great because they are their customers. And you can't get any better than that. You know, one of the concepts I talk a lot about is customer proximity. And whoever's closest to the customer wins. Well, when you are the customer, you know, you understand their pains and their struggles and their challenges and what they want. And this really is a golden rule of marketing that we need to treat people as if we were the customer. You know, that's how you do the best thing for them. That's how you do the right thing. So I think when you're talking about hiring people, the best people you can hire are people who are customers or who are advocates of your company. That's a great point. I think the other thing is just having that natural curiosity because the environment that we're in, in, in not just settling. And so I think having that back to personality of just being inquisitive, having a, a natural curiosity, uh, a, a hunger, a desire to do better, right? Continuous improvement. I would think those things you've seen come into play too. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't stop, you know, and that's the thing about growth and about success is there's always more opportunity. And so you have to keep pushing yourself. And if you have people who are complacent, you know, on the people side of the equation, that's an issue. And you really need a team and a culture that is focused on, as you mentioned, continuous improvement, thinking outside the box, being innovative. You know, so these sound like buzzwords, but if you're not reaching higher continually, then you're just going to coast downhill. You know, one of my mentors says the only way to coast is downhill. And if you think about it logically, it makes sense. So we have to constantly be pushing ourselves to the next level. And this is what optimization really is about, is continuing to find the bottlenecks that we can remove and simultaneously always looking for those opportunities, that next thing 
that may have a chance of helping us reach a new level. It may not work, but at least we can explore it and test it and experiment and potentially reach a new level. So we mentioned a few minutes ago growth, and growth is so fundamental, uh, whether you're a young or mature organization, we always talk about it, we're achieving long-term sustainable growth, but history has shown that achieving growth is not necessarily a panacea. And in fact, growth in and of itself, right, as a business can bring on some really big challenges. What's your perspective on that? What have you seen in terms of maybe the, some of the challenges that being in a high growth mode actually introduces? Yeah, growth is definitely, uh, I think, a buzzword that a lot of people throw around. And you have to understand why you're trying to grow and what the real goal and objective is of growth. There's this all this talk in the industry about growth hacking, for example, you know, with all these examples, they reference of Dropbox and things of the nature. That was ancient times. You know, the world has changed. None of that stuff is the same anymore. And, you know, you want to talk about real growth. Look at, you know, things like TikTok, which is, by the way, eroding our attention span. I'm so <laughs> terrified yes. for what marketing is going to look like in the next five years. Um, but yeah, growth is not a pan- is uh, not always a panacea, and growth is not always necessary. So I'll give an example here. One of my clients is in a really competitive industry, and they have seventy five percent or more market share, you know, which is wonderful. But for them, growth looks like you know percentage points: two percent growth, three percent growth. That's their target. That's their goal. And I think oftentimes we think we need dramatic, massive growth, and we really don't. And there's two sides to growth too. You know, if you think about a tree, you can grow up, but you can also grow down with the roots. And oftentimes people forget that. And true growth, real growth in marketing comes from growing down. And this is about customer advocacy and repeat purchase rate if you're in e-commerce and things like that. So we look at the top because we can see that, but we don't look at the roots of the tree because we can't see that. And we often judge ourselves and have metrics that focus on going up rather than growing down. And we need to change that. And so growth really is about expectations, really. Um, but to answer your question more directly, you know, scaling is difficult. And one of the biggest challenges is people. And as you try to hire more people, it's a network effect of complexity. When we talk about the process, adding one person interacts with you know, seven or eight people. And so the whole thing becomes more complicated, more dynamic, and more difficult. Yeah, this is really all about relative environment, right? Because you mentioned 75% market share. When you're that clear market dominant leader, you, you kind of have that bullseye on your back, right? And so the the mindset is probably more around, you know, creating a strong uh, fortress, right? Or castle, right? Around what you have. And so it may be more about retention, uh, especially if you're in a subscription business or your software model. Uh, so it is different as opposed to low market share where you have more upside there, right? You're kind of coming in, not that well-known established brand with the bullseye on its back. Absolutely. That's that's that tree of growth, right? If you don't have the deep roots, a competitor comes along, a gust of wind comes along, it's going to knock you over. And if you do have those deep roots, you know, you can grow really tall, even taller. And so it really is about growing down simultaneously as you grow up. And and there are limits to this. You know, startups tend to think that they can just keep doubling and doubling and doubling every year. And some investors, you know, like that idea, but it's not realistic. You know, there are limits to growth. And the people side of it, you know, is perhaps the largest issue here, as I mentioned, finding the talent, um, building a real culture. And, and I used to think culture was a buzzword, you know, many years ago when I was young and naive. 
but culture is absolutely necessary. But finding people with the right skills who are a good fit, who can help drive their business forward, it's a difficult thing to do. And then managing all that and the people side of it, it, that's a whole nother headache in itself. (laughs) So the people side of it and scaling is extremely difficult. Indeed it is. And going back to the tree analogy, if we're growing down and we're creating healthier, stronger roots, customer focus has got to be an important part of that. And in dynamic, highly competitive markets like you were talking about, having a really strong customer focus is so critical. And so with all the companies you've worked with and your experience, what do you feel really separates exceptional company performance from just okay performance? Yeah, the customer focus is absolutely paramount and it can help drive the performance tremendously. But you have to think of it a little bit backwards because oftentimes company think of, companies think of customer focus uh, at the tail end. And really, you have to realize the more you treat your customers better, the more you invest in them, the more you follow the golden rule, as I mentioned, which is acting as if you were the customer and doing what's in their best interest, that's going to create advocates and loyal customers who will tell other people. You know, this is why, you know, you can get into a fist fight with someone who is Android over Apple, you know, or things of that nature. Uh, and this is why people line up around outside Apple stores to get Apple products because they're so loyal. You know, Nike is the same way, Coca-Cola, et cetera. And so I'll tell you a story of how I broke my legs because I think it makes the point here. Uh, when I was looking for a standing desk during the pandemic, I found a company called Ergon Office, uh, E-R-G-O-N-I-F-I-S. It's spelled weird. They're Canadian. And uh, this is a great company. They have beautiful desks. It's a solid piece of wood uh, and it has metal legs and it goes up and down. Absolutely amazing. And so it's a very competitive space. There's only so many people who make these, you know, big standing right. desks. So I got this desk shipped to me from Canada. You know, the thing weighs a ton. Got these metal legs. I set it up. It's, it's wonderful. I love it. You know, it goes up, it goes down. It's perfect. But about three months later, the legs broke on the desk. I heard this loud snap. It scared me. And uh, I called the company and wrote to them and said, there's legs, but three months in, you know, I paid thousands of dollars for this thing. And their response was absolutely amazing, Dan. They wrote back and said, we're so sorry. You know, we're going to ship you new legs. I mean, these things are like, I don't know, they weigh 60 pounds at least. Uh, We'll ship you new legs and pick anything from our store, which is, you know, $80 or more. And we'll ship that to you as well. We'll expedite it, all this stuff. So they really took care of me. And, And now as a result of that, I'm telling everyone about this company. And I bought more stuff from them as a result of how they treated me. That's what investing in the customer does. That's what having a customer focus does. They could have said so many things to me about, did you do this? How'd you break it? You know, what exception do we have here? We'll only cover this part of it. There was no discussion about at all about that. They just took care of me. And now I'm loyal. I'm an advocate and I'll tell everyone about the company. And this is how marketers need to think about this. It's not about acquiring customers. It's about building and developing customer relationships so they can do your marketing for you. That makes your job so much easier. It makes growth so much easier. And it makes it exponential because now you have an army of people doing marketing for you rather than you trying to constantly you know, drive and acquire more customers. So we really need this mind shift, mindset shift to happen within marketing that it's not about acquiring and collecting customers. It's about creating customer advocacy so the customers do your marketing for you. Or it really is, is about establishing, creating, and maintaining relationships, right? Absolutely. So it's more than just the numbers. It's about human relationships that um, really uh, are where you achieve loyalty over a long period of time. 
Absolutely. Yeah, we really need that. And if we fail to do that, we're going to continue to waste resources and time and just hit our heads against the wall. You know, at the beginning of this, you mentioned all these statistics about how much spend and, and the lack of effectiveness of that. And this is the reason why, you know, it's plain as day that companies are trying the latest tools and tactics and all sorts of things instead of focusing on the customer. And if they would just do that, if they would just reset and refocus on the customer, all those other things they're doing would have such a bigger impact. So when we were thinking about establishing these relationships and nurturing these relationships with customers, and we're very focused around that, where does behavioral psychology, behavioral thinking come in? I know you spent a lot of time uh, thinking about that and applying that. Where does that all come in? If you want to focus on the customer, you have to understand how they think and how they act. And if you want to improve conversions or, or optimize your marketing, this is essential. And part of this is talking to customers, right? Surveying them, customer interviews, that sort of thing. That's only a piece of the equation because you can't trust what people tell you. And I mean that, you know, politely and generously. But there's this infamous quote, which I don't think is true, but I'll recite it anyways, that Henry Ford, you know, said if he were to ask his customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. And I think that gets at the essence here that what people say is not necessarily how they act. And so you have to watch what I do, not what I say. And, and that's what we mean by behavioral thinking and behavioral psychology of customers. And so I'll give you a quick case study here of uh, how we use behavioral psychology to increase conversions by 329% by making one simple page change. Uh, and it starts with a client who had this application process of a program that they were trying to sell and then an application page. So you'd read about the program and then hopefully you'd go and apply for it. And if we ask people, you know, why they didn't apply, they would say the price and all sorts of things like that. But when we watched how people actually use the site and walk through the different pages, we realized that they weren't sold yet and they had certain questions and considerations uh, about this program. What would it do for them? You know, who would they become, et cetera. And so based on this analysis, we decided to add a page before all this that would tell them about the industry. And it would paint this vision for them of who they could become and what this would mean for them. And this is completely counterintuitive, by the way. No one in marketing wants to make the process longer. You know, you, you try to pitch that. <laughs> it's a very difficult pitch. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But by doing this, it pre-sold them on this future vision. And this was not about, you know, uh, answering their questions or anything like that. This is emotional. This is, you know, the psychology part of it and their behavior. And so by the time they got to the program page, it was just about the logistics. They were already sold themselves on, I want to be this person. I want to become, I want to have this new identity. I want to have this future for me. And then they would apply. And so we saw this huge, massive jump in conversions as a result of this, not because we talked to customers. You know, no one would have said, I wish there was another page in the process, or I wish you would give me more information about this. You know, no one's going to tell us that. So we had to watch people and see how they use the site, see the types of, um, parts of the page they're looking at, see the areas of the website they're exploring, see the ma other materials they're accessing outside of the website to figure this out and determine their behavior. And then by doing that, we're able to have this transformative impact because it really is not about what people tell you, but it's about how they behave. And this is why we have to be monitoring that and understanding that because the more you can understand, or un understand that, the more impact you can have. And that's what I mean by behavioral psychology and customer focus and becoming close to the customer. Right. And of course, we're in unprecedented times and just like even over the last 18 months, two years, Tim, the mindset and the behaviors and what 
used to not be normal is now normal. Maybe it's the new normal going forward. So it's constantly shifting too, right? It's never static. You're always at a point in time, but you've got to continuously assess that, don't you? That's absolutely right, Dan. Yeah, it's never uh, static. It's always changing. The market is changing. Your customers and their behavior is changing. Your competitors are trying to influence that behavior and, and do different things to change that. Our culture as a whole is changing. You know, many of my clients are global, so there's global considerations there too. You know, within certain markets, behavior is different. So there's so many intricacies and nuances to think about. And I couldn't agree more that it is constantly in flux. And the sad reality is that most big companies, at least, you know, only spend a little bit of resources and time on this evaluation process, this analysis, this understanding of who their customers are today and how they behave today. And they'll do that, you know, every year or every two years, when in reality, you need to do this several times a year, at least to be constantly have your finger on the pulse to see what's changing and shifting because it is never static, as you said. Well, we've been in the midst of this pandemic effect, a lot of disruption uh, to a variety of different markets uh, around the world, fundamentally changing the way we work, the way that marketers plan. And, but despite all that, despite all that disruption, it's just this dynamic change. When you look forward, Tim, what makes you optimistic about the future? I'm so excited about next year. I think it's going to be the most interesting and successful year for marketers ever. And progress would not be possible without disruption. And so I'm really uh, thankful for this disruption, although it's been a, a tough year for a lot of us. Uh, and I, if you think of any of the key moments in history, right, and you go back, that's been true for them, that, that progress was the result of disruption. So I think this disruption has been a good thing overall and will help us moving forward. You know, you mentioned a lot of people are talking about going back to normal. There's no going back. You know, we're stuck here and we're moving yeah. forward at a new pace. And at the same time, I don't believe there's a new normal either. You know, who's to say what's normal? Nothing is normal. You know, we talked about customers constantly changing. The world is constantly changing. Marketing is constantly changing. So I think there's no new normal either. I think there's no such thing as normal anymore. So I think next year is going to be actually even more disruptive than this year. And we all need to prepare for that because, you know, one of the things you mentioned in the beginning was data. We've lost access to some data this year with the Facebook changes and data privacy. Yeah. That war on data privacy is going to escalate next year and we're going to lose even more data. And so I would say to all your listeners, you know, focus on first party data if you haven't already. This is a urgent call to arms because data is going to be a key uh, stake in the battle next year of marketing. And those who are not prepared uh, for this disruption that's coming will be left behind. So we didn't just make it through the disruption. It's not over. It's still going on. And so we can't let our guard down. We have to keep pushing forward. We have to keep being innovative. And we have to look forward to the future and, and look ahead of what's next. So um, the good thing here is people are resilient and they're innovative. You know, So we've survived this, You know, uh, thank God. And now we can move forward. And that's what excites me for next year is to see the new innovations, uh, the new creative thinking that marketers in particular will apply to this. And I'm specifically interested in event marketing because... I don't think virtual is going away. I think we're going to see some really interesting and curious things about hybrid event models. Uh, and now digital e-commerce have, have exploded even more. You know, there's just tons of opportunity for any company in 2022. But you have to realize it. You have to open up your eyes and pay attention to what's going on around you. And then you have to get after it. 
I'm getting more excited just listening to you, Tim. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. And but I think the other thing I'd love to get your take on. It feels like we're we're in an era of even greater personalization, right? And you, so you think about just a lot of the the choices people are stepping up. They're making choices about their own lives, about evaluating work life balance. Right? We've seen this great. Uh, maybe it's not the resignation. Maybe it's the great migration. People just deciding to to mix things up. Uh, take a, a different direction. So do you see that also kind of going forward, we're being able to be more effective from a personalized experience perspective is going to be really important? Absolutely. I think you're spot on there. It's it's really interesting to see what's happening. I think it's still a lot of question marks in the air for me about where that lands. Companies, especially corporate companies, you know, enterprise are struggling with this, I can say, uh, in that the model that they're used to is not the model of the future. And so there's a ton of disruption happening there, and we're going to have to figure it out. But again, I think it's all positive. I think it's all good. We need to be shaking up from time and time again. And now is a better time than ever. So it'll be really interesting to see what spawns from this. I think the agency model will also be disrupted. As to your point, these people you know, leave their corporate jobs and try to find uh, new paths for themselves. So a lot of uh, interesting developments are sure to come. And this is why I say next year is going to be even more disruptive than this year. So we better prepare. Probably more entrepreneurial energy too, right? As many Absolutely. of these folks are going to just want to take things on their own, right? And make it happen. So as we start winding down our conversation, Tim, do you have any other final suggestions for marketing leaders that are trying to achieve breakaway performance? One of the things I like to say is marketing is really inside out. You know, great marketing starts from within. And so having an effective and repeatable process that we talked about is the number one gap uh, I see in my work with marketing teams. So if you don't have that, you need to nail that. That is the key. That's the foundation for achieving breakthrough results. You know, you can get people, your people will leave eventually, um, but process, you know, always is necessary and never changes um, in terms of the need for it. So make sure you focus on your process and then find great people, build a great culture and, and keep at it. And if you do those two things and you do them really well, you're going to have tremendous success. Tim, where can people find out more about you and uh, better start moving on their path to marketing excellence? Absolutely, Dan. I'm on LinkedIn, so you can look me up there, Tim Parkin. Last name is Parking without the G. Uh, but more importantly, I have a ton of free content and IP and advice uh, that I'd love to share with your listeners. And if they just text the word GROW to 844 844- 311-3200. Uh, I'll get them that stuff over again. All the trainings I've done for clients and lots of great content and some of the things we talked about today, just text GROW to 844-311-3200. Oh, that's easy to remember. Tim, thanks again for joining and sharing your years of experience and working with uh, Fortune 500 companies uh, around the world in achieving marketing excellence. Dan, thanks so much. This has been wonderful and a great conversation. And a reminder to all of you, please continue to give us the gift of feedback uh, on this podcast. We want to continue to make it better. You can easily do that. Go out on any of the leading platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you think. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.